Hey, welcome everybody to Not So Famous Achievers. Weekly conversations with some of the world's most amazing but not so famous achievers on what they did and how they did it and what you can learn from their journey with your hosts, Will Christ and Robert White. Hey, guys. Hello to everyone and uh, welcome. We have a fascinating guest today, uh, my longtime friend and I guess in some ways mentor, uh, David Fine. Uh, uh, introducing David Fine is impossible because I either I'm going to say too little or too much. And so I'm going to have him kind of tell us in a specific kind of way uh, to introduce himself. And Will, I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Super. <laughs> like, really. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Look, David has a day job. He's the founder and CEO of a company called Value Source. My understanding of that, which he can clarify, is that he provides software to CPAs, to financial advisors, to uh, attorneys, to value closely held companies. How am I doing, David? It's great. It's perfect. All right. Now, he also has about a zillion interests. You know, I have an exercise that I sometimes do with executive mentoring client, clients, which I ask them for turning points in their life, you know, specific events that stand out to them. So, David, you took a long walk in a very cold place. You took a <laughs> sailboat across an ocean. You started an incredible charity that's serving thousands and thousands of people every Christmas. You've, you've been a great student in kind of my arena and, and personal growth. You've, you've done a ton of things. So if you were introducing yourself, <laughs> what are some of the things that you've done that I think most people just haven't done? Um, well, yeah, I've been very blessed. I have an interesting list of, of things I've been able to um, do. And I was thinking about it, you know, coming on the show. I think um, one of the first things that happened to me that really had an impact on my life was uh, my mother was divorced. I was 10 years old and she decided to uh, move to Spain with us for a year, just my sister and I. Um, and I, I didn't realize then, but I realize now what a gutsy thing for a single mom to do. And it really opened my eyes to so much, like the whole world travel. I think we get stuck in America, you know, our perspective geographically, psychologically, all that stuff. And so she was a, um, a teacher. And so she homeschooled us. And I don't know if you know, are you familiar with the Alhambra in Granada? It's a magnificent Moorish Castle. I don't know if you've ever seen. Incredible. Um, Google it. It's it's an amazing place. Um, I used to do homeschool there a couple days a week when I was ten years old. <laughs> so you know that was something that just had a gigantic impact on my life. Uh, that that was you know the first I would say incident or event in my life that really had a giant impact. Um, the next one you mentioned my my cold cold place walking. Uh, the next one was uh, you know going to the South Pole when I was sixteen years old. And when I was a sea cadet when I was 15, and I got the opportunity to uh, go on a, an icebreaker for six months, which was a miraculous, incredible thing for a kid. I got to get out of high school for six months, um, which I think was half the reason <laughs> I decided to go. Um, but, you know, that whole adventure, you know, putting that together, it wasn't just, um, you know, I, the, the trip was sort of planned. And I sort of, you know, showed up and it happened. Uh, part of it was that way. You know, the, the trip was 25,000 miles, Hawaii, Australia, New Zealand, Antarctica, uh, Ushuaia, up the coast of South America. But at that point, I had been reading a lot about the early polar explorers, and they were fascinating to me. People like Amundsen and Bird and Shackleton, especially, 
Um, you know, in the early 1900s, they were fighting to be the first person at the South Pole. So, you know, these guys um, sort of captured my imagination and my and created a dream. You know, the the ship was going to the edge of the south of the of Antarctica, but um, it was that was like 800 miles away from the pole. So I wanted to find a way to get my butt to the South Pole. So in working with my father, we came up with the South Pole project. It was really my first, I would say, entrepreneurial sort of adventure, you know, creating something that was way beyond my grasp, way beyond my reach, something that had a bit of magic to it. And uh, so I ended up flying a South, uh, a, fl a U.S. flag at the South Pole to give to President Carter. And, uh, you know, we, we convinced the Coast Guard and the Sea Cadets and the uh, and the Navy that it was worth risking my life to send me to the South Pole. So that was my, my first entrepreneurial adventure, I think. And you got there? Yes, I got there. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I was 16 years old. It was January 14th, 1977. And I flew a flag at the South Pole. It was 60 below zero. Um, and I had absolutely the wrong clothing. If you have ever seen um, movies and videos about those guys that explore down there, they've got these giant red jackets with these big fur things, and these big boots and these gloves and these huge hats. Right. I was in like a gardening jacket and some some leather leather gloves, you know, so it was actually a bit dangerous. But luckily, I was only there for about 30 minutes. And um, so, yeah, it was, it's interesting. I remember the moment, you know, I stepped off the plane on the South Pole and it's like something happened. You know, I had this crazy dream at 15 to go to Antarctica, and then I developed this, this you know, bigger dream to get to the South Pole, and there I stood. I mean, you know, it was just, it was one of those moments that I think shifted my whole psychology, my whole belief about what's possible, and my yeah. whole belief about going for things that, um, you know, you, you know, you really have some heartfelt desire to do, but you may think is a, is a stretch or impossible. Yeah, one of my mentors says Thoughts become things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thoughts become things. And and I sometimes get disappointed when we believe that there's something out there that we cannot do or some social issue that we cannot solve when that's not true. We are created to solve. Yeah, well, Absolutely. I think you can make an argument that we're created to create. Uh, yes, absolutely. But that's, uh, that's maybe a longer discussion. Well, absolutely, and, and it, it's it's you know it's the to me the creation is the creation of the new solution. That's the entrepreneurial quest to create new value for a given set of products, services, or circumstances. So oh, my uh, relationship with David, so that I can come clean here, is that uh, he graduated from uh, uh, the LifeSpring training, a company I founded uh, many years ago and then later sold. And so we have that that piece in common. But as I've uh, gotten to know him personally and as a as a dear friend, part of my admiration for David and and his lovely wife is that. Uh, they launched something that's now called the Christmas Tree Project. And I know that many of my clients, executive clients, are looking for a way to express themselves away from work, to use those talents that that they've, that they've uh, developed over the years in building their company or in creating their company, but to use it for a greater good. And David is an example of that. And uh, a couple of years ago, I was thinking about I'm wanting to support them beyond donating some things. And we'll tell you more about that in a moment, but, and some money. 
is uh, I thought I would help with publicity. So I wrote a press release <laughs> and I submitted it to uh, cable television. And uh, so I, I don't remember the exact wording, but here goes something close. A Jewish guy with a Hindu wife and a Buddhist sister have created the Christmas tree project <laughs> to help Christians celebrate Christmas. Uh, <laughs> nice. David, I mean, you've done amazing things with it, but Thank can you. you just do it just for our audience, just do an overview of what's happened the last few years. How many families have you served and what are you really for, up to? For sure. Well, I think the story, how it create got started is also um, to me impactful we gave away our own Christmas tree uh, 10 years ago and uh, because we bought a new one and we just put a one line out on, on Craigslist that said free Christmas tree to a family with kids. And we got 20 responses in an hour. I'll never forget them. And they were touching, you know, single moms, wounded vets, boys homes, people that were struggling with all sorts of issues. And it really touched us. So we found a family to give our tree away to. And my wife had 20 bucks from her principal to do something good with. And she said, why don't we take that 20 and pitch in the rest and buy the boys home a tree. And she said, and I'll never forget this. She said, but we can't just buy a tree. We have to buy the ornaments and the lights and tinsels and candy canes and all that stuff. So I said, sure. So, you know, back to Home Depot to buy another tree. And we, we showed up at the boys home and I never even realized there were boys and girls home, dozens of them in Colorado Springs that have, you know, sort of institutionalized foster care court ordered, you know, out of home. I never thought about that. You know, how many kids are not living in their home because of one reason or another. And so we showed up and I thought, you know, these are sort of rough and tumble kids in the system, court ordered. I mean, do they really even care about a Christmas tree? Well, it turns out they deeply cared about a Christmas tree mm -hmm. because it meant so many things. The symbol of a tree meant family. It meant normalcy. It meant, you know, having people that cared about you. All those things that we associate with holidays and Christmas. So they were deeply touched and so were we. So we were having dinner with some friends and we told them the story and we'd given away two trees. So we half jokingly said, we have 18 left. And Yay. <laughs> the, the, right. So they started, you know, literally at the dinner table, bringing out their wallets and throwing 20 bucks on the table. Right. So yeah. we collected the few bucks that we got and we bought, I don't remember, it was three more trees and, and gave it to I remember this one wounded vet who's a single dad with a couple of kids. And um, then the Gazette, the local paper down here, ran a story. I think it was December like 12th. And they had a picture of the boys home tree. Um, and they had a little story about what we were doing. So that was December 12th. By December 22nd, 10 days later in Colorado Springs, we had given away 300 Christmas trees. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so it was crazy. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. And, you know, we realized we really had something that, that touched people, that made a difference, the, the community in Colorado Springs. The truth is, Michelle and I, you know, gave away two trees, our friends gave away another couple and the community gave away the other 290 something. Right. So it was a community thing, um, you know, community helping uh, community. And what was so interesting, too, is it was sort of after the, you know, the, the financial crisis, you know, people were struggling. I hadn't seen those people eye to eye. You know, you hear about them, you read about them, but in your normal day to day travels, you don't see them eye to eye. So that had a gigantic impact on me and also everybody else involved. You know, the, the symbol of handing someone a Christmas tree we learn means so much. So anyway, you know, it, it kept growing and growing. And uh, Robert has been an incredible elf for all these years, um, donating his time, time, talent, energy and support and love. And uh, so we've given away over 4000 Christmas trees around the country and around the world. Um, Karachi, um, we gave away one, uh, Sri Lanka, Nairobi, Warsaw. We're working on the international piece. That's a little more complicated. 
But, you know, our goal is to create a bit of Christmas magic in as many lives as we can. A CBS yeah. National News sent out a, a couple of producers from New York a few years ago, and they did a national story on us, which exploded the thing nationally. Yeah. So it's, been, it's been a great adventure. And this year, I'm so excited to announce um, Yellowtail Wine is doing a national sponsorship of the Christmas Tree Project. And nice. they'll help us be in every uh, every city in the United States. Right. Wonderful. You know how important that is the two pieces that 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 i pick up on that number one is how significant some of these things that we take for granted like putting up a christmas tree my wife works as she's the head of an outreach center in riverside california and this is for homeless people out just coming out of prison uh, out of jobs all these kind of difficult places well there was a Thursday evening feeding. They have a meal, right? And, and she set it up so they're cooking for each other. It's not somebody swooping in, doing it, and leaving. These were people who were cooking for each other, and a couple of hundred people. She discovered that in the midst of all of the uh, food that had been given from grocery stores and various places, there's a lot of kind of big, beautiful cakes. So she said, you know, let's maybe we should have some birthday surprise, uh, birthday celebrations. So once a month, they got together, they figured out who was, and, and so they had a birthday cake, and four, five, six people, birthday, and she discovered that there were people in that group who had never, ever had their birthday celebrated. And, and how significant that is, because that's one of the ways that we tell people, we see you, we celebrate you. And, right. and so... She just had all these people crying because never had they experienced that. And what I pick up from you is 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 also when you're doing that, you are normalizing that person. And you are seeing them and experiencing them, which means they feel seen and experienced. And that changes their world. It probably changed your world, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, when you tell that story about the birthday cake, I remember a woman, I, I can clearly see her, I don't remember her name. She had 10 children. It was a few years ago. And this was the first Christmas tree that family ever had. Uh -huh. Right? Yeah, it was just, it was amazing. Um, yeah, there's so many stories. Uh, it's just, um, it's touching on both sides. And what I've heard so many times is that you know, the tree is, is important. They're so grateful for the tree. And, and remember, they don't just get a tree. They come here and they get a tree and they get decorations and they yeah. get lights and tinsel and candy. And they walk out with bags full of stuff to decorate their homes, too. You should see downstairs. It's I've got six rooms packed floor to ceiling, <laughs> wall to wall with Christmas yeah. stuff. But people, yeah. what they say is that stuff is really fabulous and they appreciate it. But what really touches them is that they know, like you said, they are seen. And that they, they they recognize that people care about them. And that yeah. that has made a huge difference. Yeah. And, and what's so so powerful about that is you don't have to be a millionaire to do that. You don't have to you don't even have to have a job to do that. I mean, we can do that for each other when we were ready to do that. And that to me, that experience is is like is like jumping into a swimming pool is totally immersive and it will change your life. Yeah. Yeah. I remember a story. There's a woman, she came, she'd recently been out of prison and she came, um, she came to get a tree. She hadn't had a tree in, in years. She was in prison. And once she saw what was going on, she says, I don't want a tree. I want to help. 
and she spent the entire day helping and the look on her face, you know, yeah. and the gratefulness in her face and heart and tears in her eyes to spend a day giving back. It was, it was, you know, amazing. It was amazing. You know, to pull this off, uh, David, I'm aware that there are literally hundreds of elves, hundreds of people that donate time and energy and talent to, to helping, uh, helping you do this. And one of the one of the things that I realized is that you got all these guys with pickup trucks that deliver trees. Right. <laughs> well, you know, I think I've never seen a survey, but I, I think there are a lot of people that buy a pickup truck and nothing ever goes into the bed of the pickup. <laughs> and, uh, and yet they get the opportunity to actually use their truck. And, yeah. and that incredible benefit of dropping off a fully decorated tree for people. What a treat. And the other thing is that the, the what you're doing with cash donations, which is the day after Christmas, you go shopping, uh, you know, for the 50, 70 percent off. And, that, right. and then, you've got, you know, you've somehow created and enrolled this incredible landlord in your in your office building to donate all of that space. I mean, uh, David and I enjoy. I think probably about once a month we we enjoy sushi together. And uh, this time I got a tour of the Christmas tree project, which is now has an official labeling on the building. By the yeah. way, nice. I mean this this incredible landlord. But I got to look through the six rooms which are kind of organized on themes, but they're jammed floor to ceiling, barely a little bit of walk space in each one of things that were either donated by people who were maybe downsizing their home, which is what started out for me, but but also that those December 26th uh, shopping trips. Uh, it's, it's an amazing project. And, you know, our audience, David, is are people like you, people that are running a company or in a mid-level managers, people like that, uh, men and women that I think are ambitious, that are looking for ideas about achievement. One of the things in your background is that you built your company and then sold it and then somehow bought it back. Can you talk about that progress as a businessman? Sure. Well, it started, it was an interesting story. I just got back um, from sailing from Tahiti when I was working for uh, the my first actual job out of college, they ended up um, firing everybody and giving us six months severance pay. A few a few uh, weeks later, I used to run a charter boat business. The woman whose boat it was called me and said, we're sailing to Tahiti. Do you want to come? And I said, of course, I'm kidding. It's a lifelong dream. But when I got back, you know, I was sort of, you know, struggling. Um, you know, I, I didn't really want another corporate job. And I was helping a guy start a computer company. He was actually the first Michael Dell before Michael Dell selling sub $1,000 computer sort of out of the back of his truck in, in flea markets. They didn't exist. Um, it was before Dell came out. And so a guy walked into the, that shop and said, um, I've got a computer. I'm desperate. I'm a business guy. And this thing's broken. I said, come back in a week when we're open. He said, you don't understand. I need this today. I go, okay, you know, you look desperate. I'll, I'll see what I can do. And I'll never forget. He walks out the door, closes the door, and then he comes back in, opens the door and pokes his head in. He says, I've got this software company. I need a programmer. Do you know a programmer? It's just weird. Like, why did he come back? I'm a programmer. That was my training. And so I said, I'm a programmer. And that's really how Value Source started. It was in early 1986. And Craig and I, he was the uh, financial 
you know, wizard. He was the business valuation guy. He actually had all the business experience. I had very little at that point. And so um, Value Source had just started and we worked together sort of shoulder to shoulder, literally writing code. It was before there was big, sophisticated systems to write code. We had to do it, you know, in a very primitive way. So we grew it and grew it and grew it and, you know, sort of pick and shoulder it and, um, you know, got it to a place where we needed to do something with it. It, it needed a transition. We needed a partner. You know, we needed someone to buy us. And uh, so we met a guy, uh, he's actually in Denver. Uh, his name is Rob Gettinger. And uh, I'll never forget, he came to us and said, I think I can help you either find a partner or sell it. So it was at the time where the computer industry was exploding and the publishing industry was struggling to get their arms around how is IT tech software going to impact publishing. So John Wiley and Sons bought us in, um, what was it, 1994. And uh, so we moved to Colorado Springs. Their office building in Manhattan was completely packed. So we moved here and I worked as their head of software, you know, for, for about a decade. And they were a great company. I mean, I have to say, I really appreciated their culture. You know, when I started with them, they were about 500 million. Um, by the time I bought it back, they were about a billion. So they'd grown substantially, but they were a book publishing company. And, um, you know, I, I remember, um, you know, one example I use is we wanted to do something, hand out something different when people bought our software, some kind of an add-in or a, another flyer or something. And, you know, some somebody came back to me and said, you realize, you know, the Wiley Warehouse sells sends out a million dollars a day in books. They're shipping a million dollars a day in books. So for you ask for a change in the process down there, you have to understand, you know, that's like not going to happen, you know. So, you know, there, there was... <laughs> There were some good things and there were some struggles because there were a book company. At one point, we both realized it'd be better for me to buy it back. So in um, 2004, I bought Value Source back and have been running it as a standalone uh, software company ever since. So now, they bought Value Source and used the, the software for what was intended for? Well, I mean, did they use it to, to buy us? No. In other words, no, they- but I mean, did, 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 did Wiley? open up a business valuation arm or something with the software? Well, keep in mind, they had a, um, they had, they had, they've got, you know, Wiley's is, um, uh, got a lot of books in a lot of different areas. They had a lot of professional books. They had a lot of business books and hmm. they thought it would go along well with their professional books. So uh-huh. you know, what, what they did is, is they kept us as a sort of a, 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 a intact entity and we produced software and sold it you know, with their help. I mean, some things were really helpful. Like, you know, they would send out catalogs to a lot of people and we would put software in the catalogs and get a lot more exposure. Um, so yeah, Value Source continued to grow as a, as a business valuation software company within Wiley um, for 10 years. And they also bought a number of training companies. Well, uh, uh-huh. so, so this was really for them was, was a profit play. Well, they, they, both. I mean, I think they're, they're, bigger thing than just straight number. I mean, obviously they're buying it from an economic ROI perspective, but I think even more um, important to them was to get their hands on, you know, software companies, software entities, and, you know, learn how they breathe, think, function, right? Because they realized that, that, you know, software was going to impact publishing. I don't Mm -hmm. think they realized how much at that point. I mean, now uh, it's obvious with Amazon and and all the other kinds of things, but yeah, they wanted to be involved with it. So there was a number of software companies they bought. And like uh, Uh. Robert said, they bought some uh, training companies. They also bought some um, leadership analysis companies. That one actually was I think a closer fit than the software company because developing software is a very different animal than developing, obviously, you know, uh, right. print products. Right. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I, I think it's, uh, 
I hope you'll stick around because we got a lot more conversation to go. And uh, let's take a little break here and, and uh, let's hear from our sponsors. Well, we're going to give you one quick thought here that uh, plays into what we've been talking about here today. Our two hosts have lived extraordinary lives and been extraordinary entrepreneurs, and Robert White, certainly one of them. He mentors extraordinary entrepreneurs and executives just like you, people who want better results from their leadership performance. He shows them how to turn those results into increased personal joy and satisfaction as well. Robert founded and led two large training industry success stories. He's been there and done that, and his experience will help you find and achieve that extraordinary success you seek in your life. So why wait? Reach out and see what Robert can do for you today. Just email him at robert at extraordinarypeople.com. Robert at extraordinarypeople.com. And start living the extraordinary life you've earned. Does your company have a clear vision? Do you have the right people in the right seats? Are you consistently getting the results you want and enjoying the journey? If not, consider EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. EOS is a set of simple concepts and practical tools used by more than 100,000 companies around the world to clarify, simplify, and achieve their vision. Schedule your free 90-minute meeting with an EOS implementer at eosworldwide.com today. That's eosworldwide.com. And now back to our show. Well, here we are. It uh, looks like Robert has uh, turned off his camera, but he'll be back shortly. So, David, uh, tell me what, in addition to the, the the Christmas Christmas tree project, what are you most excited about for the next next six months? Well, I guess there's two pieces to that. It, it, at Value Source, we've been developing um, valuation software products, obviously, for a long time. One of the things that we developed early on, uh, valuation software really conceptually is pretty simple. You know, think of a spreadsheet, there's a bunch of numbers, there's a bunch of data that goes into that. And then you need to create a report on the back end. And business valuation reports are, are complex. So we've developed report writers that automate that whole process. Um, but it's only been done in the context of our software and our platform. So about a year ago, we created a standalone report writer. So imagine anybody that's doing a lot of number crunching, but needs to communicate that in a Word document um, to create some kind of report around. So we have a new product that we call uh, the Zap Report Writer, which automates you know that whole process. So I'm really excited about that. Um, we have an online business valuation application, which helps business owners value their own business online or financial professionals help their clients do that. Business value is one of those things that uh, most business owners um, don't understand. Yeah. Right. Oh, <laughs> billions of dollars. Billions. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's what I figured. Here's what I figured out. Most business owners do. They go, how much money do I need and want? And how much money do I owe? You add those together, and that's what the business is worth. I mean, you know, all the time. So, um, so we have a program. Or, or how much does my wife want me to be able to bring yeah, right, in every right. year? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a sad thing, you know. Um, we've worked in the the you know the valuation business. We've been in and around the the brokerage business, the M and A business. And the truth is, eighty percent, eighty percent of businesses in the United States are not sellable. In other words, there's no value. There's no value there. They can't sell them. So, you know, and, and for a lot of those people, they really, you know, didn't understand value to begin with. 
you know, they're not strategic kind of thinkers. They're, you know, it's sort of like the emit thing. People get into business because they know some specific thing, you know, it sort of, um, you know, grabs their life and uh, they never take the time to either get the help, get the coaching or learn about what, what does strategic thinking mean in business? And the impact on value is gigantic. Yeah. Right. I mean, I just got through, I was telling Robert, I just got through deciding I didn't want to rent a session space for $5,000 a month for a five-year lease. That's $300,000. But it makes a lot more sense to find something to buy because now I've got an ongoing value. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, strategic thinking in business, it's one of those things that I came very late to the game in. And it, it, that was an interesting story, too. We had a client, and it, it's so typical, right? Um, you have a client that has got a big percentage of your revenue and profit, and you're really not diversified enough, and you really don't spend enough energy, you know, making that happen. And then they leave, and then it's like a, you know, kick in the chest. And, you know, that's when you learn about strategy and making things happen. So that, that's what happened to us. You know, I, you know, I learned, you know, as a programmer, you know, coming into it. So that was easy. Uh, I figured I better learn marketing and sales or my kids are going to starve to death. And so that one was relatively easy. And then the other kinds of things came along, but the strategy and execution piece, that sort of high level thinking rather than the day-to-day firefighting thinking, which I think so many of us get into. Yeah. I, I call that uh, bl- blood on the floor or fire in the hall. Yep. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you're the business owner and you're struggling with that, you got, you're in the wrong, doing the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. yeah definitely all right so here's a question for you and and uh, we, we can make this very quiet so that, that nobody really knows but what are you thinking about in terms of the coming tsunami of artificial intelligence well that's an interesting question we're starting to put bits and pieces of that into our software um about three years ago i bought a vive virtual reality set for my house and um, I don't know if have you played with those high-end virtual reality sets. No, you must both. At, Robert, have you? I don't know if you have. It, to me, it's a must for for thinkers like you and thought leaders like you. It's a <laughs> must. Not not just because it's an absolutely incredible experience, which it is. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting in my living room, literally saying, "Wow, I'm I'm on top of Mount Everest. Wow, face to face with a blue whale." But I think you know uh, the the whole thing with virtual reality. Artificial, you know, augmented reality and artificial intelligence is going to be um, it will be a tsunami. It will change. It will change uh, the world tremendously. And I think virtual reality and augmented reality, along with AI, will will bring things that we can't even imagine um, very soon here. You know, it's interesting. I do some volunteer work in prisons and uh, they have uh, AI and VR in prisons to teach well to teach welding. Right. I, you know, there's a million examples of it. I, I it was very cool. Um, I have a friend that's a, a, a football guy, and he knows the guy who started. He was the ex manager for the Broncos, and they started a company to do virtual reality quarterback training. And their office happens to be in in downtown Colorado Springs. So I was invited in, and I got to put on the headset and be a quarterback. And le- you know what I mean? It's like. Yeah. You know, it's a combination of AI and VR. It's just, um, I'm super excited about it. If I could work in the VR world and AI world, I would. So, oh, did you say you had a particular kind of uh, VR headset that you were? Yeah, it's a Vive. Using? I mean, it's 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 you know, uh, Vive is a is a brand. It's the one. Uh-huh. You know, it's a higher end headset, but it really, um, you know, I think the world. Uh, when, I, I think the other thing that's going to change dramatically too is if you look at, um, you know, the the emotional state of the world today with COVID, I think it's been impacted hugely. I do some work with vets too and wounded vets. And, you know, if you look at that whole situation, it's, it's, um, 
you know, super challenging, uh, pretty traumatic for them, certainly. I think when you start, you know, I, we're not there yet, but I think what we're going to see is a combination of AI and VR and, and AR in relationship to, um, you know, emotion, psychology, state management from the whole spectrum of things. They're doing some fabulous work with virtual reality and wounded vets. I don't know if you've seen it. Have you heard about it? No, right. tell me. Yes. Yeah, you know, what they're, what they're finding is, you know, um, uh, and, and, you know, what I what I learned in 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 LifeSpring was, you know, our, our emotional state is everything. Right. And, and, you know, those of us that didn't grow up in traumatic, you know, households really don't understand the impact of emotions on the, the, the subtle things that happen in our life that create a giant impact. Right. So, you know, with vets, um, what they're doing is. You know, they've been through so many things, you know, psychology, uh, coaching, uh, therapy, all that stuff. And, it, it, you know, it's certainly helpful, but it doesn't crack the nut. So what they're doing with virtual reality is they're putting people back in those scenes. Right. You know, they're putting them back in those kind of things and helping them relive them and then coaching them through that. Right. Because the trick is if it's bottled up, you know, it creates, you know, a, a literal hell in your life. But if you can find a way to release it, you know, that becomes the trick. And with virtual reality. Um, you know, you read the stories, you, you get chills. You know, they go back there in virtual reality. They can taste it. They can smell it. Now, the smell and the taste is not provided by virtual reality, but in their own mind, they've mm -hmm. recreated this stuff and it helps them. Uh, it, it helps them, you know, move beyond it. The, the success rate is amazing. I mean, it's it's powerful stuff. Well, you know, and, um, go ahead, Robert. Well, we're you know drawing kind of close to the end of this thing. And there's uh an expression that occurred to me recently is an old expression, which is uh, from, I believe, from Will Rogers, the newsman who was really a comedian, who was really a social justice warrior in his own way. Mm -hmm. He said that uh, never ask a barber if you need a haircut. And, uh, <laughs> you know, one of the things that brings Will and I together, David, is that uh, we work with executives who are either in some kind of trouble, you know, they're losing key people or their market share or their profits are under pressure, or maybe they're not sleeping so well at night because of some problem, or they've got a really big dream and they're kind of clear that they're going to need some help to accomplish that dream. Uh, and we, we work in different areas. I work more on mindset. Will works more on operations and really having uh, systems and, and, and that people in the right seat and all of those things that are vital to the success of a company. You know, we came together because of your attending LifeSpring and being, uh, uh very grateful about that experience. Could you share, you know, you were already a successful guy. Why did you go to LifeSpring? What happened for you as a result of that personal well, growth experience? Yeah, sure. It's, it's probably not an uncommon story for men in personal growth workshops. Um, I went because my girlfriend, <laughs> uh, <laughs> now my wife. And now that, that's a funny story. We hadn't known each other that long. And uh, she, she was staffing. She had been through the training and had been staffing and she was very passionate about it. It made a gigantic difference in her life. And so one morning, it was like a Saturday morning, you know, she said, I, I need to go, I need to go um, staff this training. Do you want to come? That's all I heard. That was it. Right. <laughs> so I showed up at the three day with that. I didn't even realize it was an overnight thing. I didn't even bring any clothes. It was like ridiculous. <laughs> so that that's why I showed up. But um, the impact was, and I've told you this, Robert, I mean, it's probably the most significant thing 
that I look to, to, you know, my personal growth, understand more than understanding. I remember, you know, maybe the way to explain it is I remember walking out of the three day, um, feeling like a different human being, you know what I mean? The world looked different to me, um, because I, I was so different. And, you know, like I said, I didn't grow up in a traumatic, you know, quote, traumatic childhood with all the craziness that so many people, um, unfortunately can go through, but there were issues, right? I mean, there were divorces. Um, there were all sorts of, you know, subtle things that I developed core beliefs about defense mechanisms, about mass, about patterns, about which I wasn't really aware of. And the thing that really was shocking to me is how much of an emotional hold they had on me, which I didn't even realize. So for me, that was absolutely transformational. I ended up doing the, the five day, um, it literally changed my life in seven days. I, I'm not kidding. I'm not underestimating it. And, and Robert, I'll publicly thank you again for, uh, you know, your work and putting that together. The impact it had on me was, was incredible. And what I ended up doing, the guy that was the trainer, um, I felt like a kindred spirit with, he felt like a brother to me. And I ended up, um, going on sabbatical at value source for, it was at least a year. And I worked with him putting on trainings. I just, I love the work. And I, you know, I thought my destiny was to work with him to go around the world to, to do that kind of work. And he died died young and I came to Colorado and that was the end of that. Mm. So Robert, where, where do people find that kind of experience today? Well, there are spinoffs of LifeSpring in many major cities. Uh, if they contact me and tell me where they're from, uh, I'll see if, I'm, see if I can connect them to that experience, uh, a local experience. But it's also, frankly, worth traveling for. Uh, but Robert at ExtraordinaryPeople.com, and I'm happy to deal with those, those requests because I still feel that experience, even when I'm not personally involved in the company, uh, there are many people doing really good work. Yeah, just like you've got that network of EOS implementers, you can refer people instantly and know that they're going to get very high quality uh, performance from that local person. Uh, I've got the same situation. And David, how about you? Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, either because they're interested in business software, uh, valuation software, or they're interested in the Christmas tree project, uh, how do you guide them? How how can we help you connect to the people that are interested in your work? Sure. My email, you know, define at valuesource.com, um, no E at the end of value, or just, you know, call myself 719-337-3257. Um, if you want to be an elf, we need elves all over the world. So wherever you are, if you're listening, if, if you feel like you'd be an elf, I, I promise it will be a, a, a powerful experience. Um, I'd love to talk to you. You know, I think there are a lot of people that have an attic or a storage unit or a basement full of uh, Christmas decorations that they're no longer using because they've downsized or because they've changed their decorating or for whatever reason. And yeah. so if they contact you, they can send that stuff to you and it gets it's going to be used this year. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I promise, um, you know, the impact it has on people is beyond what you can imagine. When you hand and most of these families, too, I mean, we, we give, you know, trees to, uh, you know, lots of different kind of people, but a majority of them are, you know, younger families with kids. And, uh, you know, when you think about the symbolism of Christmas and providing for your family, I've heard that again and again and again, when you can't do that, it, it is just painful. So when you can when you can help them create some Christmas magic for their children, uh, the, the impact is 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 huge. It, it, you know, in some cases, it, it does change their life. Well, and it feels so good to know that that stuff that's been in storage is being used <laughs> and putting the light 
on children's faces. Right. I, I'm speaking personally. Uh, yes. And, uh, you know, I, I donated uh, one of the things I had, you know, I had a very large home and we collected uh, these little village uh, houses and things so you could do a Christmas village. And I, I donated it to David. What I didn't know is they kept it. I mean, you can tell the story, David. They kept it for a long time. Well, uh, it was so beautiful. You know, we get some amazing stuff, but some stuff is like over the top amazing. And as soon as it comes in the door, when I see something like that, I put it aside because it needs to go to a special person. And when you donated that, that I think it was a German Christmas village, if I remember right, yes. I, I immediately knew that there was no way I was just going to put it out. So it sat in my office for probably two years. And I remember the guy that came. He just got back from Iraq. He got hit with an IED. He was a mess. He'd been through all sorts of struggles. Um, his wife had cancer, I think. She was German. They had a couple of kids in a house. And the Army had screwed up his, uh, his transition from active service to whatever he was going to. And he had no money. He couldn't buy food. He couldn't pay the mortgage on the house. They were you know, struggling at every single level. And I remember him walking up the stairs. He was struggling walking up the stairs. He was like physically in pain. He was wounded, right? And his wife was German. As soon as I saw him. I knew um, that village was going to <laughs> And so I, I told him and I, I told his wife, I said, I think I, I have something I think you'll like. And I'll never forget the tears streaming down her face when she saw it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, look, I encourage people. Uh, and if you don't have an attic full of stuff, send the Christmas tree project some money. They, they use right. it very, very well. That's right. <laughs> That's right. David, uh, David, how would you like to wrap up today? Uh, I, I hope this was uh, something that you enjoyed and found value in. But uh, what do you have to say before we sign off today? Sure. Well, one, it's a pleasure to um, be with you guys, Robert. It's always a pleasure. I guess for me that, that, you know, I think the thing I've learned the most in the last 10 years is the thing. And you hear this all the time um, is that giving back and making a difference is, will really make the biggest difference in our own lives. And I found that to be absolutely true in all the pieces, you know, being an elf is my most honored title, you know, that helps. I'm involved in, uh, you know, seven habits for incarcerated vets. Um, you know, I'm involved in doing a prison program, you know, with lessons from the stage behind bars. All, I would just encourage everybody. We're all too busy. None of us have enough time. Um, I, I think I'm very grateful that some of that stuff just dropped in my lap, but I would, you know, encourage people to find a way to give back, and engage your heart in, in the world. And the other thing I found too is that value source is Elf Central and having that much heartfelt energy in the company has been um, magical. It's really made a giant difference, you know, not just to the people getting Christmas trees, but every single person that works here. So that would be my message. Find a way to give back, figure it out, schedule it. You know, you'll, you'll never have enough time. You'll never have enough money. You'll never, never, never. So just, you know, just do it. <laughs> and find something that scares you a little bit too. Don't do something that's too safe, like writing a check to, you know, some company that, you know, that's great. I appreciate that. But, but find something that, you know, um, really challenges you, excites you and scares you a little bit. How about if you run out of things, take a flag to South uh, South uh, to, to Antarctica, right? The South Pole. Right, right, right. <laughs> great to uh, well, meet you, David. Wonderful. Great to meet you too. Well, can you wrap things up for us? Absolutely. I mean, to me, what what we keep discovering is that people dis rediscover what we forget so often that that while we have gifts to build. We also have gifts to share, and and it's 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 when we get to that place where we've built 
a wonderful business, a wonderful home, a wonderful life, that then we can turn and, and not give to somebody who is less than us, but we really dis- rediscover that they are just like us. And maybe in a different context, a different environment, a different set of traumas, a different set of experiences. But when we look them in the eye and sh- and listen to what they need and from our resources can help share, it not only changes their lives, it changes ours and it changes the world. And David, you are a world changer. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> David, thank you. Thank you again for being with us. Thank you for sharing so much of you. I know it's almost second nature to you to do that. And uh, I admire you greatly. I love you. And uh, uh, and I always look forward to, to the next time we meet. Absolutely. Hopefully it's soon. And I will, too. <laughs> I'd, love to meet, I'd love to meet you, too. <laughs> Take care. Take care. Well, there you have it. Some more conversations with maybe some not-so-famous achievers. But sure, they are big believers in changing the world. Right here in Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. Streaming live from the University of California, Irvine's Beal Applied Innovation Center.